about two weeks ago, I thought I had a good handle on what I was going to preach today. I've known and studied this topic for weeks and finally heard Jen preach the first sermon in this series titled Lessons from the Desert. So I thought I was prepared. The sermon wasn't completed at that point, but I had a plan and a handle for the subject of doubt. Ultimately, I could see where God was leading me. Or at least I thought I did. Last week, during the final words of the message and the movement of the closing songs, I was led to find the conclusion to today's message. It was at this point where I knew I'd be an emotional wreck delivering this message. I knew this because just the words alone were bringing me to tears, because of what they meant to me and who those words were about. These concluding words were my family's story and ultimately how I became the person I am today. At the time, I expected to be speaking those words today and looking into the eyes of my family, sitting in the pews with each and every one of you. Now, you don't know this about me, but I come from a family of criers. This is a trait passed down from my dad, but it's also jumped across to my mom. I'm not really sure where it started, um, but every time my family has some sort of emotional public speaking assignment, they end up crying. And it becomes exponentially worse when the rest of our family is sitting there staring back at them, with tears running down their faces as well. So I expected to be looking out in the pews today, speaking about the faithfulness of God and how it overcomes all of our doubt, while gazing upon my niece, my nephew, and the people who love me most in the world. Then the rest of the week happened, and suddenly our world was broken and falling into chaos. Everything we thought we knew about this virus quickly shifted and continued to change with each passing hour. I honestly started the week without giving coronavirus a second thought. But by Wednesday evening, after community night, as I was driving home, I selfishly wondered if I was safe or if my family should even consider making the trip to Chicago. The next morning, I awoke to an email from North Park that our classes will be online until after Easter. And all the students are supposed to stay off campus and away from each other as much as possible. Shortly thereafter, the decision was made to suspend community night and other church activities here at Hillcrest, but we'd still have Sunday service. And I thought to myself, at least I still have that community to rely on. At least I can still come in on Sundays and deal with this bizarre, uncertain time and just be in a community that cares about me. But then that changed too. It all happened so fast. I didn't have the time to try and comprehend. I just had to move forward with this new way of doing things, with the mindset that, it, that this is what is best for everyone, even if I don't like it. We live in a dramatically, world, a dramatically different world than we did two weeks ago, a world filled with uncertainty, and questions. Questions like, will I have enough toilet paper to get me through the next few weeks? Will I be able to go into work anytime soon? And if I'm at work, will I get sick? Will they find a vaccine quickly? Or maybe we're contemplating darker questions. Like, am I, or are my loved ones safe? Will they ever figure this out? We're moving through a time where our doubt is right in front of us. Our doubt is a big neon sign that's flashing on and off throughout the day. There are moments where we can escape it. 
just moments. But other than that, it's unavoidable. But this time, this time of darkness won't last forever. We're going to come out of the other side of this pandemic. Yet our doubt will linger. Because our doubt has always been there. I would love to say that this sermon is only relevant in this drastically dark time. That's just not true. We doubt every day. And it doesn't take a pandemic causing virus for us to have doubts. We doubt if we have to go into work every day. If we have to get out of bed and pursue a life. If we should reach out to the homeless person on the side of the road and give them what they need. We doubt if we will ever recover from whatever illness or pain is plaguing our lives this week. We doubt if our own abilities can accomplish the tasks set in front of us. And more often than not, we doubt if God is there for us in our darkest times. How then do we deal with doubt? I have three questions that I want us to answer today so that we can stop doubting and just believe. The first question is, what does Jesus say about doubt? The second question is, why did the people closest to Jesus doubt? And finally, why do we no longer need to doubt? To answer the first question about what Jesus said about doubt, we're going to turn to the New Testament. Here we'll be looking at three different texts, so if you want to turn with your, in your Bibles, or pause the podcast and turn in your Bibles, or just listen as I read it to you, um, take the time to do whatever you want. But if you would, turn with me to Matthew fourteen thirty one. The text reads, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. The him in this case is Peter. And Jesus said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Let's turn back a little bit and give this some context. This passage is the end of Jesus and Peter walking on water together. Throughout the day, Jesus had been teaching the crowds and it had come time for him and the disciples to move on. So Jesus, Jesus sent the disciples into a boat to cross the river, or to cross the waters. And he took the time to go up to a mountain and pray. But the disciples were caught in a small storm, and they were restricted from moving forward by the winds, because they were against them. So Jesus decided to go out to them. Uh, he didn't pick a rowboat, or a canoe, or even try to swim out on the waves. No, no. <laughs> That'd be too simple, too easy. He, he wanted to walk on the surface of the water. And so he did. The disciples acted as anyone would in such a bizarre circumstance. They were terrified of what Jesus was do- doing. They even proclaimed that Jesus was a ghost. But Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Come. So Peter listened to this commandment. He got down from the boat, he touched his foot to the water, and he began to walk out to Jesus on the surface of the water as Jesus did. Faithfully, he marched towards the person he trusted most in the world, but then he looked down. And when he looked down, he only saw himself in the water and he began to sink because what God had him doing was absolutely insane and terrifying. But at the moment he began to sink, the text here says, immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand to catch Peter. Jesus' answer is pretty straightforward in this text. 
He wonders why we would ever doubt. Don't we know that we have Jesus by our side at all times, reaching out to catch us when we sink? I'm sure we know that Jesus is there for us always. And what he asks us to do is simple. We are called to pursue him, with our eyes focused on him. Yet we can't stop ourselves from looking down, looking at our faults, our shortcomings, the ways we wish we were better. We cannot help but doubt that we will fail because we have before and we're going to fail again. What we cannot look past is that Jesus will not let us sink. He will catch us and set us up on the surface again. He is faithful to us, always. The second passage we're going to turn to, um, where Jesus talks about doubt, is Matthew 21, 21. So it's Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. Here Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can do, you can say to the mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. For me, this passage brings to mind several questions. The first being, what happened to the fig tree? And how does that relate to a mountain jumping into the sea? Well, if I just read the text that came before it, like I should have, instead of skipping to the end, about doubt, I might have understood what the context was. So Jesus came to the fig tree hoping to find nutrients in the shape of a fig. However, the fig tree did not bear any fruit. So Jesus acted as any normal person would in an ordinary circumstance, and he cursed the tree. Because the tree could not bear fruit, This caused the tree to wither immediately. Notice the continuation of the use of the word immediately from the passage before. Jesus acts with intention and timing and purpose. So that answered my first question. He cursed the fig tree through a miraculous act and could do the same to a mountain. My next question is, why are more mountains not being tossed into the sea? We are faithful people, aren't we? We follow Jesus every moment of our lives and never doubt him, right? We never doubt the plans he has for us. Wouldn't those who read this text try to throw a mountain into the sea? So why aren't there more mountains in the sea? Or why aren't there more stories about mountains moving into the sea? Well, we've covered this already, haven't we? We can't escape our doubt. And we cannot fully fulfill Jesus' faithfulness to us with our own faithfulness. So Jesus had to perform miraculous acts to convince us to doubt a little less. We are expected to not doubt at all, but we cannot. We are incapable of throwing the mountain into the sea because we cannot muster the faith required to perform the miraculous acts of Jesus. The third and final passage we are going to look at to answer what Jesus says about doubt is is also the second reading that came from earlier today. John 20, 24 through 27. Here Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. What is it with these disciples and their constant doubting of Jesus? 
Weren't they they? Weren't they there? Didn't they see him perform all of his miracles? This passage passage leads us to our second question from earlier that helps us deal with doubt. That question is, why did the people closest to Jesus doubt him? In the text, Thomas is seeing Jesus after he has risen from the dead. Jesus literally had to walk up to him and show him the holes in his hand and in his side to prove to Thomas that he was Jesus. Even though Jesus had already told him and the rest of the disciples that he was going to die and that he was going to return, Thomas could not believe without Jesus seeing him. Still, my question is why? Had Thomas not built his foundation on Jesus and his teachings? Had he not set his whole future with Jesus in mind? Was his life not going to look drastically different with Jesus as his focus? To get a better understanding of this, let's think about what Thomas had gone through. Thomas was in the absolutely darkest of days. He had just experienced the unthinkable. The person he trusted the most in the world, the person who set his foundation for the future, the person who changed every single aspect of his life, had died. But not only did that person die, he was beaten, tortured, and humiliated, ultimately being crucified on a tree all because he loved people. The emotions Thomas is experiencing were brought upon by Easter Saturday, a time not spoken about much in the Bible or in the church, but is one of the absolute darkest times in the text. Everything that the Bible was leading up to suddenly stopped. Jesus was dead. The mission was dead. All hope was lost. The future is gone. So what do we do now? Thomas must have wondered. But his questions were answered right away. There's this dark time of silence after the death of Jesus. It's a Sabbath Saturday. They're supposed to not go to work and instead go and worship at the feet of God in his temple on this Sabbath Saturday. How in the world are they supposed to do that? How are the people who need Jesus the best supposed to go and worship God after the person who is the embodiment of God died right in front of their eyes? How could they continue their pursuit and fulfill the commandment of keeping the Sabbath? This Easter Saturday is a reflection of the dark times in our lives right now. We're all collectively going through this together. This Saturday, we're not sure what comes next. We're not sure if we're going to be healthy. We're not sure if all of our loved ones are going to make it. We don't know how to move forward. But this isn't the end of the story with Jesus. Because he wasn't dead. Well, at least not for long. He conquered death. What the disciples couldn't understand was that this humiliation, this punishment... This torture, it needed to happen so that Jesus could be fulfilled and he could fulfill his purpose. His purpose in their lives and his purpose in our lives. He needed to conquer death so that we no longer doubt who he is and what he is willing to do for us. So we've looked at what Jesus says about doubt in the New Testament. And we've looked at 
and we think we might understand why the people closest to him had their doubts. But our third and final question is why we no longer need to doubt. If Jesus' mission is fulfilled in his death and resurrection, why is the world still imperfect? Why do these things seem to not go as planned? Or why is there so much pain in the world? To these questions, we can't find simple answers. At least they don't seem simple and straightforward to us. They seem complex. However, Jesus often answers our questions and our doubts with straightforward answers. Like the text says in John twenty twenty seven, stop doubting and believe. It cannot get any more straightforward than that. His answer to all of these questions are just as simple and straightforward. Things don't have to go as planned or as you planned for God to be faithful. Things don't have to be perfect for God to be faithful. Life doesn't have to be pain-free for God to be faithful. God is faithful in the chaos. God performs miracles through the flood and God conquers the pain, the illness, and death. So even when we are in an Easter Saturday season, God is faithful to us. God has a plan for us and we will fulfill his purpose through us. That is why we are no longer to doubt. He works through us tirelessly no matter what season we're in. So today we tried to deal with doubt. We looked at what Jesus said about doubt and how he was faithful, how he performed miracles, and he he ultimately conquered death. We looked at how the people closest to Jesus doubted, even when they had every reason not to, when they had first-hand experience of the miracles and the faithfulness of Jesus. Finally, ask why we are no longer to doubt. But I think this question will linger with you. And even though I said the answer is straightforward and Jesus said the answer is straightforward, that does not make its application easy. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this doubt in our lives? And how are we going to apply Jesus and his answers to our lives? How are we going to stop doubting and just believe. For me, it starts with seeing his faithfulness and his miracles in the world around me. This is the part where I become an emotional wreck and I struggle to control anything that's about to happen. If I were with you, I would look out into the pews, see my niece and my nephew, the love that they receive every day. So amazing. It's so beautiful. And it's given to them by my sister and my brother-in-law, who are incredible people, who've overcome trauma and abuse in a way that I will never understand. And I see my parents, and I think about where they started in life. Without resources and with often without people who love them. And yet they found a way 
to build a family that loves and adores each other and somehow tries to pursue Jesus every day because they built it on the foundation of Jesus. This is how I apply Jesus' message to my life. This is why I apply Jesus' message to my life. This is why I don't doubt him or why I often don't doubt him. I've seen his work. It's all around me. And it's all around you. There are things in your life that you cannot explain. The faithfulness of God is everywhere. His miraculous acts in your life and the conquering death to bring you salvation. So when you're dealing with doubt in the coming weeks and the weeks far beyond that, Don't look to yourself for answers. Don't look down at the water as Peter did. Keep your eyes focused on God and move towards him. See his faithfulness. See the miracles he's doing in the lives that he's saving. If we do all that, we won't doubt anymore. We'll just see Jesus.